Glad you're here today. We're continuing to worship God together, to look to God's word and ask God to to teach us how we can face our fears. And today I wanna just spend our time focusing on facing my financial fears. Uh, You know, the the news, uh, the numbers have been frightening over the past few weeks, haven't they? February 12th of this year, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, and the S&P all hit record highs. One week later, February 19th, uh, the the NASDAQ and the S&P reached another high level, all-time high. But everything changed after that, didn't it? In the weeks that have followed, uh, the the stock market dropped uh, in a historic fashion, plunging into a bear market in a matter of a a few weeks. And while there's been a a little recovery uh, since March, uh, nowhere near the levels where it was. And it's caused great angst and anxiety as people are wondering about the provisions they're going to have to live on. Other people are rethinking now their their whole thoughts of retirement and their timelines and horizons. And then we watch unemployment numbers. 26 million people have filed for unemployment, a staggering, staggering number In the space of a few weeks, we have seen all of the job gains over the past decade wiped out. And while there's hope that some of these changes will be temporary and and hopefully can turn around in, in short order, the reality is that we don't know. But for some of us, it's not just about those big numbers. It's about the personal numbers. It's about how those numbers are lining up in my life? How are those things going to to sync up as the expenses continue and maybe the income drops or disappears? And it really doesn't matter that where you kind of fall out on the, the socioeconomic spectrum. All of us can experience a sense of anxiety and, and deal with fear when it comes to the issues of money. And as we're all wrestling with that, as we're all struggling with that, I want to just take us to one verse uh, and then talk about some core fundamental principles because in the midst of a crisis, you always go back to the fundamentals. Always go back to the fundamentals. The verse I want to point you to is found in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. Paul is in prison and he's been writing, he's writing to the Philippians about uh, how God has provided uh, through them, how God has provided for his needs. And he kind of sums that up in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that encouragement today. My God, not might, but will, will supply not some of my needs, but every need of ours according to his abundant riches in glory in Christ 
Jesus. That's the hope that we could have even as we face the reality of our financial fears. But as we think about living in the light of that reality, I want us to look at six things, six things uh, that God's Word tells us about what God does, that God will meet my financial needs out of His abundant provision when I do certain things. And the first thing is when I ask for his help. When I ask for his help, uh, the Bible has promise after promise when it comes to asking for his help. James 4.2 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Very often we do almost everything else before we ask God. When Jesus was teaching his, his followers, he talked to them about, about asking and, and asking in faith and trusting. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he, he makes a comparison between us as earthly parents and him as our heavenly father. He said, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And now please hear me, this is not, this is not a health or wealth and prosperity gospel. I'm not, not saying that we ask for this and God drops down a million dollars or anything like that. But I am just reminding myself and reminding you that God says the first place to start is to ask. Not as your last resort, but as your first response. The principle is very simply this. Before you pay for it, pray for it. Before you pay for it, pray for it. You know, we, we can depend on our credit card more than we depend on Jesus Christ sometimes, right? And then before we ask him, we'll, we'll charge it. We'll, we'll take out this load or that load or be willing to go into debt, whatever it is. And the principle is, before you pay for it, pray for it. In fact is, what I have discovered and what you've probably discovered is if we pray as much as we worry, we'd have a whole lot less to worry about. And so what this says is uh, before, before I, I pay for it, pray about it. And as I pray about it, God might say, you don't need that. <laughs> or I may sense God's leadership. I want to provide for that in a different way or at a different time. Or he may say, yeah, it, it's time to just Go forward with that, pay for it. But before you pay for it, pray for it. So I need to begin and I ask for his help. And as I ask for his help, one of the things that I, I need God to help me to do is to learn to be content to learn to be content. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
in that same letter that I read from in just a moment ago, that fourth chapter of uh, Philippians, Paul, who's writing from prison, Paul writing about uh, the kind of the journey of his life, times of need and times of want and times of abundance. He said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That Paul had discovered a contentment. Uh, contentment. And contentment is really about where, where I, I get my, my joy. Contentment means my joy in life is not dependent on my circumstances. It's not dependent upon my balance in my portfolio. It's not dependent upon how many possessions I have. But I have a contentment that comes because I don't get my identity. I don't get my security. I don't get my hope from what I have, but from who has me. From the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ. How could Paul learn to abound and to suffer need? Because he learned contentment because his security, his hope, his identity was in Jesus Christ. And what this means is I have what I have today, but I don't know about tomorrow. Tomorrow, God may entrust me with more or God may have me walk through a season of less but I can have a joy in that because my identity, my hope, my security doesn't come from my stuff. But there's a great enemy to contentment, and that great enemy is comparison. Comparison, we begin to compare ourselves with somebody else. Uh, they have this opportunity I don't have. Uh, they, they have this thing or get to take that trip or they're not having to walk through what I'm having to walk through right now. They're not suffering what I'm having to suffer or we go uh, see the advertisements or we see somebody's social media feed and we, uh, we begin to kind of compare our life or at least our perception of our life with our perception of somebody else's life and that leads to a discontentment. And so the principle here is simply, if I don't learn contentment, I will never experience freedom from financial fears. No matter what's happening in the economy, no matter what's happening in my personal finances, if I don't experience, if I don't learn contentment by focusing on my identity, my hope, and my security in Christ alone, I'll never experience freedom from the reality of financial fears. Ask for his help, learn to be content, and then seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. This is a principle that is repeated again and again and again through scripture. Proverbs 19 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. There are times we just need to know. There are people that know what we don't know. There are people that have a perspective that we don't have. We need to listen to advice. We need to accept instruction. Proverbs 12 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. In the financial area of our life, in a lot of other areas of our life, what we think makes sense to us, the way that we're walking seems wise to us. It seems right to us. But wise people understand they need 
more knowledge. They need other people's perspectives. One more, Psalm 1, 1 begins by warning us, this whole book of Psalms with a warning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That we can get a lot of advice and not all of it's gonna be good. We get advice unsolicited through advertisements or through uh, our culture. And we have to, to discern. I have to seek not just any counsel, but I have to seek wise counsel. So here's the principle. Pride will always prevent me from seeking and listening to wise counsel. Pride will keep me from seeking and listening to wise counsel. Let me just share out of my heart for a moment. That that pride can sometimes be when when I'm in a a position of abundance, Uh, when I feel like, hey, I've got it together. Obviously, I'm doing good. I'm better off than so-and-so. I don't need anybody's counsel. Sometimes it's on the other end of the spectrum. Sometimes we find ourselves in such a mess, but we don't want anybody to know how badly we've messed up. We don't want anybody to know what a mess we're in. And so our pride keeps us from seeking wise counsel. One of the things that has excited me and just blessed me through the years of being a part of this church is seeing people who who have made themselves available uh, to come alongside others to give wise counsel, particularly in this area of, of finances. And, and I've seen individual after individual, family after family, blessed because they got past their pride and they were willing to seek wise counsel. I've seen individuals and families dig out of some terrific holes because they sought and listened to wise counsel. It may very well be that your next step of obedience is to swallow your pride and to seek wise counsel. But not only to seek wise counsel, uh, but the scripture encourages us, if you want God's help in meeting your needs, walk in integrity. Walk in integrity. Proverbs 11 says, a false balance is an admonition uh, to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That there is this, in that culture, in that economy, one of the ways to cheat people would have been to, to use a false balance or a, or a, a false weight, and you could uh, cheat people economically that way. And he said that's an uh, abomination to the Lord. Uh, one other example, Proverbs 19.1, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech, and is a fool. Here's the principle. God doesn't bless dishonesty. God doesn't bless or honor dishonesty. And we can be tempted toward dishonesty in a couple of different ways. Sometimes we find ourselves in a tight spot. And because we're in a tight spot, we kind of rationalize to ourselves. It's, it's okay to cut a corner. It's okay to, to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Uh, because uh, my situation is, is, is dire, because I'm in this tough spot, the rules don't really apply to me. Sometimes we justify dishonesty because we're in a tight spot. 
Sometimes on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes maybe we're in a position of power, influence, sometimes we have a lot of resources and we can begin to feel like, well, you know, those rules don't apply to me. That, that's for the majority of people. That's for uh, other folks, but I'm kind of above that. I'm kind of beyond those rules. But God doesn't bless. He doesn't honor dishonesty. In their book, uh, Freakonomics, the authors explain how a simple change to the U.S. tax code in the 1980s exposed kind of the depth of the public's uh, willingness to deceive for financial gain. In the early 1980s, uh, a research officer in, in Washington was, was looking and as random audits, and he began to discover uh, a lot of um, dependents that, that seemed, let's say, suspicious. And, uh, and, and some of them were honest mistakes, a, a divorced couple that uh, perhaps uh, didn't know or didn't communicate and both of them claimed uh, the same child. Uh, but some of them were just utterly ridiculous, uh, uh, huge numbers of children. Some even uh, listed a dependent by the name of Fluffy. And, and on and on it went. And, and he said, you know, if we just, if we just do something, if we, if we just require people to put a social security number with every dependent, it'd make a radical difference. Well, at first, nobody wanted to listen to his ideas. Uh, but then as, as the years went by, there was kind of a clamoring for more tax revenue. And so this idea kind of resurfaced that it was dusted off and it was moved forward into law for the, the tax year of 19. 86. And, and as they were doing kind of the, the review, the research on the returns of that year, they were staggered by what they found. I want to make sure I get the numbers right here. Uh, but that year, when the returns started coming in, 7 million, 7 million dependents vanished from the tax rolls. 7 million dependents. In fact, is in that one year, a combination of, of real pets and phantom children. Seven million of them disappeared from the tax rolls. And the income in that one year, the tax income in that one year generated just by that one tweak in the tax law, $3 billion of revenue. God doesn't honor and he doesn't bless dishonesty. If you want God's help, in the financial area of your life, walk in integrity. Let me give you two more of these fundamental principles. The fifth is to give in faith. To give in faith. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And the Old Testament proverb says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting 
with wine. And now please hear me again on this. I'm not suggesting to you, 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 you give $100 and, and God automatically returns to you a million dollars and nothing like that. But, but the, the, the principle is, is very, very clear that if I want God involved in any, any area of my life, including the financial area of my life, I must put him first. Now, I know, I know perhaps for some of you, it's like, I'm getting ready to turn this off. <laughs> this feels so counterintuitive. When, when I'm in crisis, when I'm fearful, when I'm worried, it's kind of like the last thing I want to do is to give. I feel like I have to get. I feel like I have to hold on to everything that I can hold on to. But here's what you find, that there is something happens when I put God first. When I say, God, I love you. I trust you. I honor you you first. And that's why we've said tithing, tithing is an act of worship. To declare, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of first place and first love and first allegiance in my life. And that shows up in how I handle everything you've entrusted to me. It is an act of worship. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of trust. God, I trust you. When I put you first, you will provide everything I need. Maybe not everything I want when I want it, but everything I need to be who you've called me to be, to do what you want me to do. And that leads to uh, the, the last principle I want us to look at, and that is to trust. Even as we give, we trust him with our life. Paul writing to Timothy says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do we know something right now about the uncertainty of riches? No, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Recently, I did a series of messages on being rich. The focus of it was we want to learn how to be good at being rich because even in financially trying times, when you compare us to the people who have lived through the scope of human history, even the people who are living across the world today, most of you who are listening to my voice, we are rich. And one of the takeaways from that series was simply this. Right out of this verse, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I will not trust in riches because as this current crisis reminds us, it is so uncertain. But I will trust in him who richly provides. Jesus reminded us that we could trust him even in the most practical areas of our life. When he was walking the earth and as he was teaching his followers, he said at one point, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And then this wonderful reminder, and your heavenly father knows. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things that we may tend to worry about, particularly in times like these, and all these things will be added to you. The principle is that God assumes full responsibility for my needs when I fully trust and obey him. Let me say it again. God assumes full responsibility for all of my needs when I fully trust and obey him. Now, those are the principles, but I wanted to share with you a story. And as I share with you this story, it's, I want you to, to listen for these principles that we've just been talking about. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of, uh, of this individual, this family who had kind of sent a little bit of their story to me and I kind of pulled it back out of the files. And as I read it, my heart was encouraged and I hope it'll encourage your heart too. So I just want to read you uh, this, this email story uh, that I received a little while ago. Dear Pastor Jeff, I wanted to encourage you by sharing our story of how God blessed us through tithing. For years, God had been working on my heart concerning tithing. I knew we should tithe and sometimes did. However, the expenses of raising children, daycare, after-school care, school supplies, school clothes, field trips, lessons, groceries, etc., always seemed to keep piling up. So at times, out of fear... I would hold back our family's tithe and give less or nothing on a particular week. And honestly, this went on for years. Meanwhile, despite working two jobs and my wife working a full-time job as well, we found ourselves using credit cards to fill in the gaps. We tried to give in volunteer hours what we felt we couldn't in money to the kingdom. And even though our income increased over time, bills kept piling up. Finally, it got to the point where I was literally taking my stuff to the pawn shop on the last week of each month to buy food. Then a couple of months ago, our church did a series about managing money by God's principles. At that point, my wife and I made a decision to get out of debt. We cut up all of our credit cards and stopped buying anything that couldn't be eaten, worn, or help us to get to work and church or stay warm. We met with a financial counselor at our credit union. More importantly, we started praying and asking the church staff in confidence through the bulletin to pray that God would help us get out of debt so we could give more to help others and participate in his kingdom. And we were starting to give more, but still not tithing. 
And finally, the Holy Spirit's conviction became so strong that we decided last March to jump in and tithe 10%, no matter what. One week before we came to this decision, I had the following. A mortgage from hell that was always 15 days late. Three cars that were constantly breaking down. Some credit card bills that we could not pay down. And a gifted child heading for college, but no money to pay for her education. One week after we paid the first tithe, our daughter got a full ride to college. Two weeks later, through the grace of God, we were able to refinance our home and save $600 monthly. Six months later, God had replaced three dangerous and unreliable vehicles with dependable transportation. And then the checks started coming. Tithing allowed us to pay off $10,000 of debt in three months. As a result, we actually overpaid some bills and started getting refunds in the mail every week, and we immediately tithed those tithe on those refunds again. And God even blessed me with 10% more income in that same time period, opening up new doors to additional employment. He also blessed me with great opportunities at my full-time job. The coolest part, was getting to tithe and give beyond. If our friends needed help, we were able to provide right on time with what they needed. We have found that using the church website to give is the best way for us. It's easy and the money comes out of the checking account within two days. Now I want you to hear this. He said, I can also go to sleep at night without a tight feeling in my chest because I know I've done the right thing. The Lord says if you tithe, he will fill your skins with new wine and your storehouses to overflowing. He will do that financially, but the real blessing is that he does it through the Holy Spirit, which will spill out of anyone who surrenders to his will. I would like to encourage anyone who has not tested God to do it. He's got so much in store for those who are willing to trust him. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, we can face our financial fears. Let's pray together, please. Oh, Father, you know every one of our hearts. You know our minds. You know our finances. You know what we've done in the past, what we're facing in the present, and what's ahead in the future. And Father, I I pray, Lord, that those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ would walk with you in such a way that people see something distinct and different in us because of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that wherever this day finds us in our personal finances, the, the way that we talk about it, the way that we handle them, the way that we share them, 
the way that we face our financial fears would give glory and honor to the God who has made such a difference in our lives. Father, thank you that you are concerned about every area of our life, including our finances. Thank you that we can face our financial fears in the strength that you provide in Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being a part of this today. I do want to just kind of challenge you as we close. Paul said, and my God, and my God. It is a personal word to those that have a personal relationship with God that's only made possible through Jesus Christ. And what I want to say to you today is that, is that greater than any financial challenge you and I will ever face is our need to be right with a holy God. And the only way that this God can be my God personally is through Jesus Christ, through my recognizing the reality of my sin and rebellion that separated me from a holy God by crying out to, to him in faith, trusting that Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself, that he lived the life I was called to live. He died the death that I deserved to die because of my sin and rebellion. Uh, that he was buried and resurrected, has ascended to the Father. He's interceding now on our behalf and he's coming again someday. And through that work of Jesus Christ, God invites you and I to know him personally. And if we can help you in any way, if we can answer questions about that, if we can help you take a next step in your obedience to him, if, we, if you wanna just continue a conversation about what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to know this God who provides for us so, so perfectly in Jesus Christ, then please reach out to us. Reach out through social media. Reach out through our website, fbcfm.com. We would be honored and delighted to carry on this conversation with you, uh, to come alongside you in any way that we can. But I want to leave you with some questions. Uh, this is just something we've become convinced of, that uh, a message isn't just about what we hear and then we go on to other things but it becomes powerful in our lives as it becomes personal and practical. And so four quick questions. How have financial fears impacted my life in the past? All of us kind of have a background. We had things that we just knew and that were true based on our growing up experience, based on our life experiences. How have my financial fears impacted my life in the past? And how are my financial fears impacting my life today? How is that impacting you today? I want to encourage you just to go back over the, the, the six major points of this outline, those six core principles in those scriptures. And maybe just to say before God, which truth do I most need to internalize this week? Which of those truths is one I need to start with? And then to make it practical into what I do, what do I sense God is calling me to do, but I haven't yet done in the area of my finances? What is something, that, I don't know what it is for you. It's probably something very, very practical. What is it that God's called you to do you haven't done yet? What am I gonna do about it? And what is my next step in obedience to God? 
And then as we try to encourage week by week, as God opens up your heart and mind to truth, it's not just for you, but it is to go through you to other people. And so who can you share these truths with? Maybe it's just as simple as, as sharing this message on social media, sharing this with somebody along the way. Who can I share these truths with? These are challenging times. These can be frightful and fearful times, but we have a God who will enable us to face all of our fears. God bless you as you walk with him this week.